and welcome to Unseen, the podcast where we chat about some of the brilliant projects happening at Queen's Hall Arts Centre in Hexham. In each episode, we'll go behind the scenes and lift the curtain on all of the planning, inspiration and sheer graft that it takes to turn amazing ideas into amazing projects. And we're going to start just by introducing ourselves to you all. So I'll go first. I'm Bridie Jackson and I'm a musician who works in the Northeast. I do all kinds of different things, composing, choir leading, performing, and I've been working with Queen's Hall on a project at the moment. Who shall I hand over to now? Dominic. Thanks, Bridie. Hi, everybody. I'm Dominic Smith. I'm Associate Creator at Queen's Hall. I'm involved in lots of arts and various exciting projects across the Northeast and, and the country. I've got a focus on digital, but that tends to be very loose and mostly about kind of multimedia and exciting projects using new technologies. Thank you. I'm Katie Taylor. I'm the Artistic Director at the Queen's Hall, which is a very posh way of saying I'm the friendly boss in terms (laughs) of the Arts Centre. My job is uh, kind of everything from um, checking that we've got bin bags in the bins to programming the programme over the next few years. And one of the best things about my job is, is taking the lead on these really exciting projects that sit within the community. And then I suppose I should introduce the building in the room or the organisation in the room, which is the Queen's Hall. Uh, the Queen's Hall is the artistic heart of Hexham in Northumberland. And we are a vibrant and exciting art centre, which is full of people being creative from dancers to youth theatre to artists and performers, as well as the library with um, three performance spaces and two exhibition spaces. But really, we are not far more than the building. We're an arts organisation that just happens to have a building. Um, So our remit is about the whole county uh, looking outwards and working with our community in the streets of Hexham, in the park, and then far beyond into the rest of rural Northumberland. Brilliant. Thanks, Katie. And I love the description of you as a friendly boss. (laughs) It's really (laughs) lovely. (laughs) Um, And in these first few episodes of the podcast, we're going to be doing a bit of a deep dive into one of the community projects that Katie mentioned, which is called Unsung Heroes. And in this project, we celebrated local people through song who have made a difference to their communities. And that project was actually part of Here and Now. And I think Katie's just going to tell us a bit more about that now. Yeah, thank you, Brody. So Here and Now is a national celebration um, on a local level. So working with an amazing organisation called Future Arts Centres, uh, 14 brand new projects were created in the community um, by artists collaborating with their communities to celebrate arts and the project spotted by the Arts Council and celebrated the National Lottery's 25th birthday. And obviously the National Lottery is a way of fundraising for the arts, but this project was about putting that fundraising back into the community. So our project was um, really particular as each project was really different. So I'm just going to hand over to Dominic, who's going to explain how we uh, responded to here and now. Thanks, Gay. Yeah, so for this project, Queen's Hall commissioned international multimedia artists Kristen and David Maguire and Northeast musician Bridie Jackson who, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to create the Unsung Heroes project. And that involved the creation of a brand new augmented reality gig that was co-created with the local community. I'll tell you more about augmented reality in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so Davy and Kristen have got a, a long-standing reputation of, of making very enchanting and imaginative video installation work. I'm probably not doing them justice with that brief description, but you should definitely go and check out the work online. And just sort of following up on a point you made earlier, it's possible that not everyone has heard of an augmented reality gig. In fact, I hadn't until I started working on this project. <laughs> um, so Dominic, would you be able to just talk us through what that is? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, augmented reality in its simplest terms can mean the use of a phone 
or a, a device that's got a camera and a screen in it. And you place that device between yourself and part of the world. What we can do these days is we can set up markers or a system where the software that we're using recognizes where it's being pointed in the world and can place new things there. So in the case of this project, there are a series of cards that will be shared with people soon and you'll point your phone at those cards and the performers will pop up in the card, which acts as this tiny little stage and they play this play the song for you. It's a tiny little gig in your own home. It's very exciting. It's I'm probably going to anger the artists by saying this, but the best way I've found of describing it to people is like the chess set in Star Wars. <laughs> um, the kind of little characters that are moving around when they're playing chess on the Millennium Falcon. I love that so much. It is like that. Now that you've said that, yeah. I've described it to people as a little bit of magic. Yeah, absolutely. I've shown it to... Um, a little boy the other day and he said how did it happen and I was like magic because yeah. it is magic so I don't know how it works yeah the other thing that I was going to mention about it is that it reminds me of watching Tomorrow's World when I was really little it was the kind of thing that you saw in Tomorrow's World with some really rubbish graphics and but you thought it was amazing but now it's real um, so this is that sense of taking everyone back to childhood yeah for something exciting to happen yeah for me, the other pretty magical part of this project was the pleasure of working with communities in and around Hexham to collect stories about the everyday people who have inspired them. And these are people that had done something really incredible for their communities, but perhaps they'd not quite received the recognition that they should have. And what was really great about this bit of the process is that just how diverse the nominations were. Um, they included all different kinds of people from different walks of life. We had a choir leader, um, an LGBTQ plus activist. We had shopkeepers, community volunteers. Um, and despite the fact that this group of people were very different, there was definitely a commonality between them. Um, the main one being that they were all really surprised to be nominated. Um, and they seem to share an ethos of just kind of wanting to get on with the business of helping other people and doing their bit, which was really moving, actually. And so I wrote songs celebrating each unsung hero. So each hero had their own song written for them especially. And then the next part of the process is an amazing lineup of local musicians have each recorded their own bespoke arrangement of one of these songs. And there was a really fantastic lineup of musicians for this, um, including Kate Gessie, Carol and Gary Bowden, Orchestra with Leslie Rowley, Leon Fussell and Ian Brown. And in the following five episodes of this podcast, we're going to meet some of the people involved in the creation of these songs. Sometimes the nominators, sometimes the unsung heroes themselves, and sometimes, if we're lucky, both at the same time. And you'll, you, you'll even get to hear just a little bit of a snippet of the songs as well. So in this episode, we're going to take a look at the song Sing Our Songs for a Better Day, which was written for Northumberland musician Catherine Davison, who was nominated by members of Tyndale Community Choir, whom she leads. And they praised her determination to maintain regular online sessions throughout lockdown via Zoom. And I can speak from experience that running choir sessions on Zoom is a very difficult and very odd <laughs> thing to do. But she managed to do it all the way through lockdown. And they also praised her joyful attitude, which really helped to keep everybody connected and a bit more upbeat during a time of isolation and separation. And in this episode, I was lucky enough to get to have a chat with both Kat herself and also two Tyndale Community Choir members, Hugh and Judith Davis. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, my Thanks. lovely friend Kat. It's so nice to see you on Zoom. It would be even nicer if it was in real life but you know we'll get to do that at some point um and it feels a bit funny saying this because obviously I do indeed know you already but to start things off it would be great if you could just introduce yourself and tell us all a little bit about how you came to be involved with the Unsung Project. So I'm Catherine Davidson I'm a choir leader and a folk musician and primary school music teacher from Northumberland I live 
just north of Hexham. And I got involved in it because, well, I knew it was happening because I knew that you were, because we know each other anyway, um, I knew that you were the musician and the um, composer for it. And then you got in touch and said I'd been nominated. Yes. Um, which is a really weird feeling. It's really weird. It, I felt like a fraud. I was like, I'm just doing my job. Um, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I changed my entire like every musician across the world, my entire existence had turned upside down. Um, but yes. it still felt like I was just trying to do my job. So it was um, really nice actually to be recognised that my job had turned upside down, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yes, yes. And I think we'll, we'll get into it more. But yes, ultimately, basically, people around you understood that what you'd done was a really big deal yeah um, and what Kat had done for the people that don't know is that she um, is an amazing choir leader as she said for Tynedale Community Choir um, and had managed to keep that choir afloat during lockdown um, which is no small feat so <laughs> tell us a bit more about that and, and how you did it and what you had to do and how you had to change things up. So the very first thing that I did was whatever day we locked down the very next day I thought my choirs are going to need some music and I don't because I led I lead more than just Tyndale I thought what can I do that's within my technological capabilities because at that point none of us knew how to use Zoom none of us knew how to uh, record multi-track videos unless you were in that world anyway and people that say oh can you not just record a multi-track video have <laughs> never tried to do it um, <laughs> oh can you not just stick 20 people singing at the same time together no I can't I'm not a video editor um, but I used the acapella app on my phone and I recorded This Is Home which is a fantastic uh, community choir piece and I did it in four parts and I sent it to my choirs and I said in case you need something to sing. Um, and it turned into me sending them a song every day for, I think there's something like 45 songs. Wow. Um, and some of them were really, really hard um, in maybe six parts or because I wanted it to feel more like uh, more like a choir. I multi-tracked myself. So I had three of me singing the soprano line. So I maybe ended up with nine or 10 parts. Um, so some of them didn't just take the three minutes of the song. Some of them took all day. Um, and then, so I did that. And that was my song of the day and sent that out to them. And I got loads of really nice feedback. Like, I can't speak to any of them. I can't see any of my friends at the minute. Or I don't understand how uh, Zoom works. So I haven't been able to join in with this, that and the other. Um, and these songs are allowing me to still access my friendships or I feel like I'm still connected which was really beautiful to get that feedback um and then we stepped into zoom choir world where I remember having a conversation with you where I went Pridey you're doing it and I don't know how to do it help me <laughs> um so I first started off having all from all of my choirs I had all of my sopranos and all of my tenors and all of my basses meet individually and I personally liked that better from a musician point of view because I got through loads of stuff with them um there was no kind of waiting for the other people to learn their parts um and then they told me that actually they missed their friends so instead of having four choirs all the tenors I had Tyndale Community Choir and we have breakout spaces and some Monday nights stayed my Tyndale Community Choir night um, and I got to see everybody and we had a Christmas party and all held uh, our scarves up on the screen and it was like having a um, a garland at the top and really like we found a way to have community even though we were nowhere near each other. That is so beautifully put and it, it's really interesting because it definitely speaks to part of the reason why you were nominated by two of your lovely choir members Hugh and Judith Davis who I've also spoken to about this and they said yes the, the musicianship and the expertise in that regard obviously of course that's brilliant but you've always been that and that's that's always been something that's been really admired but this ability to help people connect and create a sense of community despite all the challenges was I think the thing that they just thought was really remarkable that you'd managed to carry that through into really difficult, strange, 
quite distressing times. And that was re- that was really moving to hear them talk about that and how important it was for them. And that basically, it's not just music. It's not just people singing in a really formal way. It's so much more than that. The life of Absolutely. the choir is so much more than that. And I think that for people who've never been in a community choir specifically, you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that actually if you're not there one week, we notice you're not there and we worry that something's up and somebody will check in on you. And if you're if you're if you're having a bad day, your choir leader sees it instantly on your face. Um yes. and well I might even change the repertoire. Um, you know, in when we were in real life, the job of a community choir leader is to stand at the front and wave your arms around and create beautiful sound. But you only create, in my opinion, beautiful sound from community singers if you're aware of the mood in the room and what the outside world looks like so some people have come and it's their one hour and a half of the week where they're not mum or one hour and a half of the week where they're not a really high-powered solicitor or the one hour and a half of the week where nobody's nobody's asking something from them um they don't have to lead. They might sit there as a, they might be a choir leader themselves, but actually, in this hour and a half, they get to be led. Um, and it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing being a community choir leader because the music is equally important. One doesn't work without the other. Yes, I completely, I completely hear you and agree. I think that thing about looking at a room and reading it really fast is yeah. so important isn't it and really hard to do in lockdown with a load of people on a screen but you still have to don't you <laughs> the amount of times that I was leading a song while typing a private message to a choir member who didn't look okay yeah. um, and saying this is just to you nobody else can read it are you okay because you don't look okay um, and you know some of them replied saying actually my son's really poorly or um, my relationship's not having a great time at the minute because we can't get away from each other for 10 minutes. Um, and, yeah, the multitasking level in the room. Like, never mind the musicality and the fact that I, I showed them a picture of my screen one day set up for online choir, and I had, I think I had 15 pieces of music. So I had 15 scores open, which meant that I had at least 15 audio files open and the Zoom screen, and typing private messages. It feels like such a weird world away now because we're sort of back to some semblance of normality. But it was a bit crackers. Yes, it was crackers. And it's. I find it fascinating that at the beginning of this conversation, you said when you heard you'd been nominated, you felt like a fraud. And, I, I mean, obviously... that. That just is totally not the case. But the reason it's so interesting you said that is I think nearly everyone that's been nominated has said something similar, which is that they were just out there in the community being responsive to what was needed and trying to put good stuff into the world. And they were so busy doing that, it never occurred to them that they were like deserving of a, a, a prize, you know, a crown or an award for it. And it, I think it's the same with you. It sounds like you're just so busy doing what you do. You maybe don't stop to go, oh, wow, this is really impactful in the world. (laughs) Yeah, and I think my empath uh, antenna went massively haywire during lockdown because when you're in the room and you can see people's faces, you can ask them questions, but not being able to reach people, not being able to have that one-to-one conversation just made me go I need to connect I need to connect um how do I make sure that my 95 year old choir member in Morpeth is able to access Zoom and at one point there was a really beautiful choir member who I've known for a very long time she's known me since I was born and she couldn't do Zoom at all and then somehow somebody helped her to get I think it was her son helped her to get on zoom but we logged in one day and it wouldn't work so bless it she rang her friend who was also on the choir and she had the sound through the phone and she had us on the screen so she still joined in and by the next week she'd figured it out so it took three weeks and she's 80 um but the things that we were asking technologically the things we were asking of people 
because community choirs are predominantly slightly older people. Um, not always, but, you know, people who are retired have slightly more time. Um, and so asking them to completely change their world in order to stay connected um, was a huge ask of them. So I had to pull my socks up to make it good, I think. <laughs> yes, make, make it make it worth the trauma of having to like figure out how zoom works and stuff yeah absolutely <laughs> but I think the other point there that you're speaking to is the the power of when you make a commitment to make something accessible and what that really means is whatever challenge someone has you find a solution for it and yeah and I think that's it's one of those things that you only really know what accessible means when you're challenged by it and you go, oh, wow, I really need to think about how to make this possible for you. And I think your choir are really good at that. And it was really interesting um, hearing Hugh and Judith reflect on this because they were telling me about this really beautiful incident where someone had just wandered in off the street because they were interested in what was going on and, you know, had never been in a choir before and apparently you just gone oh hi yeah <laughs> come on in and you know they came in and they were welcomed in and they sat and sang with the tenors and I think that's just like a really lovely anecdote that describes that process of being truly inclusive yeah and I think being truly inclusive is forever a work in progress because you're only ever as inclusive as the people who choose to come into the room yeah and then when somebody new comes into the room whose needs may be different, then you have to adapt and you have to make changes and you have to find ways that work. And I think there's always work to be done and actually maybe we could be less reactive and more, I hate the word proactive. I think you should, you can be active, or you can be inactive. Uh, I hate the word proactive. However, um, I think we could be more proactive um in how accessibility physical I mean in physical world when we're back in the room um yeah I've sent myself off on the tangent no I I know exactly what I know I know exactly what you're saying it's like how do we be yes being reactive is really important but also perhaps planning for yes how to make things available is really important yeah Absolutely. Well. And it's not about, is there a ramp into the building for a wheelchair user? Because um, the law, hopefully, and common sense from our planning point of view, but things like, is the music big enough to read? Are we are we speaking loud enough in sessions for people who are hard of hearing? Um, do I turn and look at a part when I sing so that those who need to do a bit of lip reading can do that? Things like that. Um, do we leave enough space for people who really need to get their head around questions? Um, all of those things are always on my brain. Yeah. Especially since being on Zoom. Yes, because suddenly there was all of this. It was just so much harder to interact with people. And so you had to do quite a lot of instinctive stuff and second guessing. and Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And before I'd had conversations with choir members about going paperless in choirs and I was really against it because the assumption that everybody has access to a printer or has access to a tablet or has enough money to put ink in their printer. Um, and I was like, no, I'm going to bring pieces of paper because then everybody is equal and everybody can have a piece of paper. And now some people are bringing the music on their tablet and I am doing less printing which is great for the environment um but I'll never stop doing those copies because I'd absolutely hate it if somebody came and said but you asked us to print it and I can't I haven't got ink in my printer absolutely and I mean oh goodness Kat you're speaking with such compassion but also such expertise and I think people will be really interested to know where this wealth of understanding comes from because it hasn't just plopped into your into your brain from you know it's it's probably been fairly hard one and you've had to work a lot and learn a lot and you've got a huge wealth of experience so tell us a little bit about your your background and how you got into this quite niche type of work <laughs> um 
So when I was 16, I was absolutely certain I was going to be a pilot. That was my plan. I was doing all the sciences, going to do all the sciences at A level. And then David Oliver, good old Hexham stalwart, um, brought a tour of young musicians called Hot Shoots to my school. And they were all my age and they were all incredible folk musicians. And I sat there and thought, oh my goodness, I want that. I don't understand it. I don't know what it is, but that's really cool. And like, isn't it so funny how he he brought it to my school? It was Hayden Bridge, so not very far from Hexham at all, but um, and it was from Folkworks. Uh, but that that performance absolutely changed the course of my life because I went home to my mum and dad and said, I don't want to go on the family holiday. Can I go to this thing called the Folkworks Summer School? And they were like, eh. Uh, no what I have not said I don't think I want to be a pilot anymore I want to be a folk musician that didn't go down very well <laughs> um, not very well at all so um Anne Bell who's a really lovely person choir member um now but she was a friend of mum and dad's she said I'll take her I'm going so I'll take her so we went she dropped me off at the youth summer school and that was that that was absolutely that I felt like I'd found my people and uh, came home from that week of the summer school hearing fiddles. I heard fiddles in car engines. I heard music. I heard sessions everywhere. Um, picked up the penny whistle, taught myself the penny whistle to begin with. And then Joey, David Oliver's son, became my whistle teacher when I was at school. And I thought, eh, I'm not going to go and do chemistry at uni. I'm going to become a folk musician. So I did the folk degree in Newcastle University again. That didn't go down well with my mum and dad. Um, <laughs> like got three science A levels and now you're going to go and do a folk music degree what but luckily <laughs> by the end of my first year at uni I'd been in the final of the BBC Radio 2 Young Folk Award being on Radio 2 uh, really helped them to I go bet. okay she's not just following this weird crazy dream where she might not be very good as a singer um it's like she's on Radio 2 she must be okay um and then my degree was based at the Sage and um Gilly Love had um we had to do a teaching module and I decided to go to work with the silver program because I'd never worked with older people and I'd never really worked with people who hadn't been folk musicians. Mm. So I'd always like taught penny whistle to people who wanted to play the penny whistle. So Gilly said, arrange a piece of music and you're gonna teach it to three choirs. So everybody else in my year group taught the same three people uh, the same people three times. And I didn't. I taught the same piece of music three times. And it was a really good move on Gilly's part because everybody else saw the progression in their learners. I saw progression in myself. Oh, yes. It was really clever. And at the end, Gilly said, what happened? Like, what reflect on what happened. And I said, well, the first time it took me 40 minutes and the second time it took me 30 minutes. And by the third time, it took me 20 minutes. I said, I knew how to teach the music by the third time. I knew what my hands needed to do. I knew where to put put a joke to kind of put everybody back to to grounded. Um, and that was it. Gilly then approached my course leader and said, if she's up for it, could she come and do a placement with us? So I did about 25 hours a week in my final year at uni for, for this age, learning my craft. And this age got a lot out of it for as well because they got a free choir leader for a year. Um, and then I worked for the Silvers um, with choirs all over the place. But that year at uni really taught me how to lead a choir. And what was great, what is great about the Silver Programme, especially Julia, who worked for the Silver Programme, that care, mm. that absolute attention to who's not well, who hasn't been for three weeks, who is sitting in the room looking like actually they wish they hadn't made the effort to come today who's bouncing off the walls and desperate to tell us that something exciting's happened. Um, those sorts of things. Um, so that's how I got to there. And then I've led... I nearly gave up on the northeast, you know. <laughs> this is a story that not many people know. I'd had enough. I was very, very single. And I'd been very single for a long time. And I thought, mm, I think Glasgow's my place. Um, and I thought, no, oh, just so... I got a job in Glasgow one day a week. Um, and I was going to make it to two days a week, three days a week and move. And then I met Nathan and got the Tyndale Community Choir job. And was like, I'll just stay where I am. <laughs> I love it. So you met you met your lovely husband-to-be 
and you met an amazing choir and you were like, oh, that's enough of a reason to stick around. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that all happened in the same, like, six months. Oh, I love it. Well, definitely Northumberland's gain in that respect. And <laughs> it's really interesting because obviously you have this huge passion for folk music and this expertise in it. And I think it would be really interesting looking at things through that sort of guise that you have, that lens, what you think about, I suppose, the concept of telling stories and celebrating people through the medium of writing songs about them. Being on the receiving end of it, I'm finding it really, really weird. Um, (laughs) How... (laughs) Um, and terribly uncomfortable because we're British and we don't like to celebrate ourselves. Um, like ah. However, um, the telling stories through song is what I love to sing about. Um, whether it's uh, the decline of the ship building industry on Tyneside or whether it's mining songs and mining disaster songs. One of my schools are currently singing the Trimden Grange explosion, and hearing. Um, Hearing 60 year five children sing a Tommy Armstrong song beautifully with ornamentation, telling this really local to them County Durham story is really moving. Um, And that's one thing that folk songs and story songs, because at the end of the day, folk just means other people. So when you're talking about writing songs about people and for people, it's exactly what folk music is. Yeah, and I think for me, when I hear singer-songwriter music and people describe it as folk music, sometimes I know there's a difference. So if I listen to Corinne Polwart, mm-hmm. even though she's writing contemporary self-penned songs, it's folk music because she's writing songs about people. Yes. Um, it's not just love songs or, um, yeah, they're, they're songs about people. That's such an interesting distinction. I'm going to listen to music differently after you've said that because that is it, that is the distinction, isn't it? It's of the people, not necessarily of yourself. Yeah. Corrine's Christopher Wren, is it Christopher Wren? Yeah. Uh, song is one of the most beautiful modern folk songs I've ever heard. And it's beautiful double meaning about a wren being the bird that can fly the highest and... Christopher Wren and the cathedral and all of that it's yeah it's very beautiful that is gorgeous it's there is I I mean you know so much more about it than I do but there is quite a tradition isn't there in folk music of using the metaphor of birds and what they're able to do birds and flowers yes yeah flowers are yeah flowers can be naughty flowers tell (laughs) you things birds are aspirational yeah yeah absolutely but it kind of that is interesting though because I guess what you've kind of started to to nudge at there, and actually I feel like there's a whole podcast series and I'm certain that there is, <laughs> like telling the history of the Northeast through different songs that are from here. But there there is this thing, isn't there, about capturing really important moments in history, but from the perspective of everyday people and folk music being used as a vehicle for that. Definitely. And that's why, I mean, Tommy Armstrong is really incredible at that because things like Trimton Ridge Explosion are very personal about an event that happened. Um, So it's social history and it's really important local events. But actually, they're not just local events because mining disasters, as an example, happened all over the world. Um, So they are stories about local people, but they fit into a a social history that's wider, much wider than that. And before we had people like Tommy Armstrong, the broadsheets. So broadsheets would come out every now and then and they'd have a song written on them. And then there'd be no tune. It might say at the top, um, sing to the tune of whatever, but a lot of the times it wouldn't. So the person would buy a broadsheet for a penny and then they would stand and sing their song to whatever tune they fancied. Um, and it might be the local gossip, um, might be the local gossip, it might be the local news, um, it might be a person's story, but they were, yeah, you got to make your own tune up. We didn't have oh, to write the words. I love that so much. <laughs> I feel like we need to reenact this. This is just incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I could talk to you about this all day, Kat. It's so fascinating. And I guess 
finally, now I, it's so funny calling you an unsung hero because there's just it's so it's this a glorious irony to you being called an unsung <laughs> hero when you are you know the most singing person ever <laughs> as a singer and a choir leader. Uh, but but the the ethos of it rings true, um, and I guess it would just be really interesting to get your final thoughts on how it feels to be an unsung hero in this moment. Oh, um, it still feels like the people who rocked up to choir. I think I'm always going to be that community choir empath um, and say that actually the people that came to my choir, the people who paid my mortgage through COVID, the people who checked in on me, um, you know, everybody that came along to my choirs during that time made sure that I still had food on the table and a roof over my head as a musician. It was a terrifying time um I still feel like they are the heroes and I was just cracking up with my job but it's really really nice to be um appreciated for the effort because sometimes there was an awful lot of effort went into leading and checking in on people and yeah it might have looked like I was doing an hour on zoom but it maybe took two hours beforehand to get set up um I think everybody likes to be appreciated for doing their job and it feels really special and especially to have a song written like yeah it's really special oh Kat beautiful words um just thank you it's been a total treat and a pleasure to talk to you and thank you so much for your time thanks for having me and thanks for writing a song about me it's all right anytime mate (laughs) Thanks, Kat. See you soon. See you later. And that was the wonderful Catherine Davison. And next, we're going to hear from Hugh and Judith Davis. Welcome. Uh, Welcome and thank you so much for joining us, um, Hugh and Judith. And to start things off, it would be brilliant if you could each introduce yourselves. And first of all, just tell us a little bit about how you came to be involved in the Unsung Project. Okay, well, I'm Judith Davis, and um, we became aware of the project asking for nominations. And because we felt that um, Kat had done so much for our choir and for our other choirs, I think, um, during the pandemic um, by doing such a lot of work to make sure as many people as possible could feel connected and um, have something of a focus in the week, something to, um, and even though people were singing in their own homes and not with a group of people, there was opportunities to chat as well. And um, as the time developed, we realised a lot of background time and effort had gone into producing the ability for us all to join in. And we felt that should be commended. Um, Yeah, that's why we nominated her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what an amazing achievement of Kat to have managed to keep you all together, despite sort of very trying circumstances. Yes, she, she, I mean, it, was, it was really difficult when, when the lockdowns first happened. We had to stop all of our community events. And we've been members of the choir for quite a long time. And we really enjoy going along on a, on a Monday night and singing. It, it's, it's, it's a real, real sense of community. Um, and the fact that the cat managed to, to keep us together and, and do all of the, all of the, um, the Zoom stuff, all, all, all of the tech stuff, learn to do all of that, yeah. um, which no one had done before, um, was, was, was really worthwhile, you know. It really just deserve, deserves a lot of credit. And some of the members are single people and so found it really a real struggle to be isolated in um, quite a wide rural area we are around Hexham. Not everybody lives in Hexham like we do, and not everyone has a partner in the home like I do with you. So um, it was a great way of keeping us all together and in communication. And so, as I say, a focus for, for your week, really. 
absolutely yeah and I mean I have some experience of this from my, my own my own life in that I also ran a choir in Zoom yeah. and I'm really happy that I did it because it's it it sort of held a space and it kept us all together but it's a very surreal thing to do isn't it trying to sing with a group on Zoom <laughs> yeah it is it is and it is it, it's very difficult to sing individual parts um because obviously I sing alto and um, Hugh sings bass so neither of us have seen soprano part uh, which sometimes had the chew so yeah quite surreal but fun we we enjoyed it absolutely and and do you found that um that kind of you talked a little bit about the social element of being in the quiet do, do you did you feel that that you managed to hold on to that on zoom yeah we did we had um we had chats and we went to, as as technology progressed because i think that was one of the things to begin with none of us had done it really um, none of us had been in chat. Well, we haven't certainly been in chat rooms. We're not. We're not that sort of um, tech-minded people. We don't spend our lives in chat rooms. So um, it was new to us, really. And though Hugh did it more on work with work now, and I do it with work now, it's quite common to go into chat rooms and um, you know meet up with have a, a meeting split into different groups and things. But it was all new um, at the beginning of COVID, and I think new to a lot of members of the choir. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if, because I mean, obviously, I I know Kat, and I know how it's just fabulous. She's such a charismatic, kind of funny, warm person, and and I know that um, to carry a choir onto Zoom, you're really going to need to bring a lot of that charisma and energy to the to the to the to the experience, aren't you? To kind of hold it. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's not, it's not it's not easy, you know, doing doing singing a part and then and then giving us space to sing it back, <laughs> and and um, obviously trying to keep out any of the sound. But it's 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 it must be really really quite taxing, and you have to concentrate really hard. And and she, of course, she puts it across beautifully, you know, as though it's second nature. And and it really helped us all, I think retain a good degree of connection between each other you know and and we could we could talk about what walks were going on and and other little things we're doing um, as well as just the singing and it was it was really really rewarding yes yes and I think uh, some some people that I know from being running my choirs that a lot of them said during lockdown having regular things that were happening during the week acted as a little bit of an anchor in 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 a in a time of quite a lot of uncertainty where there perhaps weren't as many kind of things that you would do within your timetable as as normal i did, did i know that you two were working the whole way through so perhaps it's a little bit different for you but is that something that you and the group could relate to i think so certainly um for people who are living alone even if they're working um it still meant they had something that they could connect with the local community which they wouldn't have been able to do because of you know you're having to be isolated, you couldn't meet up with people. Yeah. So I think it did give people a focus. Yeah. So I think it would be really nice to hear what it was like the first time that you met as a choir face to face again after so long being on Zoom and what that experience was like. Well, I think it was quite telling that um, singing parts individually um, didn't mean it was actually harmonious when we all got back together again. <laughs> so it wasn't as if the songs just could be a performance ready even though we've been singing for a lot um individually in your home singing is different to singing in a group <laughs> yes yes yeah, so so the the uh, the technical bit of it was yes challenging again it was but it was it was great fun and and so nice again to be to be back together but of course, of course not everyone was able to or prepared to come back at the start because we were still issues around around safeguarding and and shielding shielding that's the word thank you <laughs> um so not everyone was, was happy to come back but enough of us came back to make it worthwhile again so it was really really nice and yeah and we had that connectivity of being on zoom yeah yes yes and zoom had meant that you hadn't had this long break where there was no, no connection whatsoever and yeah that's because Kat kind of took a chance and tried to make something happen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I obviously, I know a little bit about your wonderful choir, Tyndale Community Choir, and uh, the, the, the feeling that you get in the room with you all together, obviously you're all 
really great singers and you make a beautiful sound but definitely one of the other things is just that absolutely just overwhelming sense of being a community and being very kind of supportive of each other and being very kind of all believing in the importance of being together and collective action and, and being a community and I, I wonder I wondered if you kind of had anything to say about how that felt like being part of that community and what it means the importance of it well I, I think it means means a great deal honestly it, it is it is really nice coming together with a, a group of if you like unrelated people otherwise um you know we're, we're not all in the same professions um we're not all in professions you know there's a whole mix of people um and it's really nice to be able to get that mix so it is it is if like anyone can come without fear or favor whether whether they can sing or not and and you'll be welcomed and, and we'll all make a noise together you know and and hopefully it'll be a joyous noise yes i think if i had to use one word to describe your choir i would say joyous because that is absolutely the feeling that radiates when you're in the room together well i think it it was um epitomized when somebody i don't know were you, were you i can't remember whether you were the leader or whether cat was back with us when the man just came in off the street and joined us he just walked in on 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 a choir evening and he just came and he heard the choir singing and he just came and walked in and he came and sat did he sit, sit with the tenors i think he sat with the tenors yeah. didn't he yeah. yeah and that was fine um he just came in and felt he, he felt able to come and John welcomed him and said, oh, come and sit down and join us. And we gave him some music. And he, he just spent the evening with us. Isn't that wonderful? And that just uh, epitomises what we are. We hope that, you know, that's the um, image we portray to everybody, that anyone's welcome just to come in. That is and just such a brilliant story that perfectly illustrates what you've both been saying. Did he come so back? It was Cat, wasn't it? Was it Cat? It, it, yeah. yeah, it was Cat. <laughs> Um, no, I don't know. Don't think he came back. I don't know. I didn't actually speak to him, to be honest. Um, but I, I don't know. You know, don't know whether he was from Exxon or what. No. Huh? That is just so brilliant. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, it's great. But I mean, obviously, we're kind of moving into the discussion now. We're, we're kind of talking a little bit. We've been talking about community, but obviously, also the other part of the choir that's of equal importance is. The, the 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 richness and the value of music um obviously making music with others but obviously the kind of independent relation the, the kind of personal relationship that each of us have with music and I guess I'd just be really interested to hear what it means for you like making music with others and your own relationship to music I've always enjoyed singing and I've always sang throughout my life really I've been in through my different stages of age, been in different choirs and always enjoyed it. Um, I always thought that if they could put um, lessons to music, it would be so easy to learn your GCSE work because I can learn a song and I can remember it. So I always thought, you know, just put physics to music and I'll be, you know, a master at it. Love it. That, that would be wonderful for me because <laughs> I love to sing. Yeah. And it has enriched our lives, hasn't it, Hugh? All the oh, way through, absolutely. really. Yeah, it has. It has. I mean, yeah. Again, I, I've done a lot of music when I when I was younger, um, particularly orchestral music, um, and then discovered singing a little later on. And it's just great. You know, it, it's, it's again, feeling joy, being able to create a nice sound with other people uh, all together, you know, sing, singing the same thing. Um, it, it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely thing to be able to do. And if that gives half of that joy to to other people as well um in the room for for whatever reasons they come for then i think that's a great thing absolutely i i couldn't i couldn't agree more <laughs> and staying kind of on the theme of music i guess obviously this project has been all about celebrating people and doing it through music celebrating and acknowledging people and their achievements and their contributions through writing songs about them 
and again as musicians yourselves I, I wonder if how you feel about that if you think that music is an effective way of doing that when there's lots of other ways of doing it you know people you make people have statues made of them and all sorts but but what do you think about using music to do that we both think it's a great idea <laughs> and, and hopefully a lasting legacy you know people have sung songs for for generation and generation and generation and um hopefully something will come of this which which will will be lasting yeah absolutely yeah but it's interesting you say that yeah that kind of generational singing which obviously particularly in folk music is a very important part of the folk singing tradition isn't it commemorating people and stories and important parts of history through writing songs about them yeah and how things pass on easily from family to family for uh, and area to area and it shows sometimes an identity to an area as well yes you mean that certain music is very specific to certain regional areas? Yeah, well, that, but also a belonging for people to feel belonging because they recognise that type of music, that um, resonance, the words or whatever. They can join with it and feel that they're part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so it's it's so lovely to talk to you about all this stuff and you've been really, really generous with your time. I could talk to you all night about music and how much I love it and how important I think choirs are and singing with other people is. But um, one, one question I have is, as you know, this project is all about celebrating people who have done amazing things for their local community and but perhaps haven't received the recognition that they deserve. So I guess I'd, I'd be interested to know from both of you why do you think it's so important to honour these contributions that people make to their communities? But again, I, I think it's an opportunity, isn't it? Um, this, this whole award unsung event. As you say, people wouldn't necessarily know this had gone on. And yet, for the, I mean, it's a relatively small group of people in the choir, but it, it's, it's, you know, 50, 60 people might have participated in the, in the Zoom choirs. And for that group of people, it was really important at that time and it 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 could go unnoticed this is a really great way of just trying to say we appreciate it you know it was well done and it was great to do and fantastic that Kat took the time and effort to make it happen you know we we just participated and joined in with it but without that leadership it wouldn't have happened and and it's really nice to be able to recognize that and give something back I also think it could be a stepping stone. So if things, I hope it never does, but things happen in the future where we're isolated again, people will feel that there is something out there, remember, and then feel that they can join. So um, maybe good going forward if we uh, acknowledge the work and the effort everyone put in this time so that, um, you know, it can be built on in the future um, and can be used in different ways. And perhaps um, use the example just to communicate with isolated people in other areas, perhaps, who don't get the chance to travel to a choir. There there will be people who are disadvantaged, particularly in rural Northumberland, who would love to sing, but can never actually afford to travel to a community where there's enough people to join in together. So you could take elements of what's happened during the pandemic and use it to enhance people's lives going forward. Absolutely. Well, what a what a brilliant answer. And I think on, on that note, I, I I would like to just thank you so much for your time. It's been really wonderful to talk to you both. And also just to to kind of reconnect about a project that was for me personally very important during lockdown. And it really helped me to feel to stay connected to people and also to be reminded that even in times of you know real quite darkness, there are still people that are out there doing really remarkable so quite every day but very remarkable things for other people and it's a it's a good thing yeah Yeah. absolutely absolutely so thank you so much and i hope to see you again soon i'm sure you will yeah So that was Hugh and Judith Davis from Tyndale Community Choir. Just a fantastic chat and a brilliant insight into what choir life is like for them. And so now it would be great to hear again from Dominic and Katie. What what did you think about those interviews and what did you take from them? Oh, I guess I'll jump in first if that's okay. Um, because uh, Kat's interview really changed the way I think about folk music. Uh, yeah. Really 
at a kind of fundamental level. I, I grew up around folk music uh, and uh, my daughter is a folk musician. So I feel really guilty for <laughs> not having thought about it like this already. Um, but my impression of it from being young, it kind of skipped a generation with me because my impression was kind of men, men with big beards and the one thumb in the belt hoop and another <laughs> finger in the ear while singing songs about the, the sea. And it's not that uh, I was so wrong, wasn't I? And um, hearing the kind of folk aspect of folk music and understanding that the, it belongs to people uh, yeah. and that it's a shared thing was a, a real penny drop moment for me as well and just made perfect sense as to why she had been nominated. And, you know, the, the kind of skills she had and the desire she had to connect people coming from that, having that folk music training and being growing up with it and just understanding it at a fundamental level was really, really interesting to hear. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more, Dominic. It, folk music is absolutely about everyday stories and that's what's so interesting about it. Um, they're not singing about aspirations to own a fancy car or wear a sparkly dress or any of the things that none of us can achieve on a day-to-day basis. They're stories about ordinary people. And and these songs are exactly that. They're songs about ordinary people doing extraordinary things and actually being extraordinary people. So I think that's really interesting. And and I was really intrigued by Kat talking about her inclusivity in terms of how she works with the choir. And that feels what I use as a phrase is Queen's Hawley. It feels like it sits with <laughs> the Queen's Hall. Um, something just has that feel that it's a really good fit. And that is about making sure that everybody feels welcome and that's very individual. So, And, and we also talk about how if the most vulnerable person can access something, then it's got to be good for everybody. That's a benefit. And, yeah. and I think Cat's practice is a really good example of that and that's really inspiring. Um, plus she runs a choir that just meets up the road and often performs in our buildings, so that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed hearing about the daily life of people who attend the choir as well. And often on projects like this, there's a story reveals itself. The story for this project really is the story about somebody just rocking up and hearing that there was a choir singing. Yeah. And just walking in to, to join in. And... Uh, and then Bridie, I think you say, did they come back? And they go, oh, no, they didn't. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't it didn't matter. matter. No, but that, that person had joined in at that moment was enough, really, wasn't it? It was, it was good. Yeah. I think for me as well, that's the importance of art centers, those unexpected discoveries mm-hmm. around art. So our exhibition space is right next to the toilets, and I think that's brilliant. So you often <laughs> get people wandering through and having a look at something because people who might not normally feel welcome in a gallery mm-hmm. um, just stopping and looking because the art is for everyone but mm-hmm. not everyone feels like they're entitled to the art so part of that is just those accidental discoveries that time when there's a performer in the foyer mm-hmm. or there's a singer in the street all of those things and we've done a lot of that recently we had buskers at our jubilee celebrations so that everybody can experience it and access it. And that feels like that's this story. Yeah. What did you get from it, Bridie? Oh, it, it was just so, as you can tell from the interview, me, me and Kat are quite good pals and we've known each other a really long time. And it's always really nice to talk to someone about their practice when, you know, like a fellow creative and especially when your ethoses are so closely aligned. So that was just really joyous for me like just really lovely and affirming um it's great to have to to know that someone like Kat is appreciated and receiving the recognition she deserves for you know actually I mean she's quite young but yet a lifelong career you know she's been doing this for nearly 20 years um and with the same level of detail and compassion um and it feels really special as her pal to have been able to have been part of like helping to celebrate her so yeah it was just really lovely i was going to come back to bridey about the songs as well the songs are just lovely and every time i hear them especially this one 
they make me cry, but in a good way. Cry with oh. kind of joy. And in, in the, in the hearing you write about these people is, is really amazing. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. And I guess perfect timing, because I think we are going to listen to a little snippet of this track now, aren't we? Um, so this song is called Sing Your Songs, Sing Our Songs for a Better Day. Um, and this particular version of the song, I wrote it, but the wonderful Kate Gessie recorded it in lockdown. So I think we're going to just listen to a little snippet of it now. And we'll keep singing until that day, holding close unto our human ways. So lift your hands and sing our songs for a so that's pretty much it for episode one of this podcast. So I'm just going to hand over to Dominic before we go. He's just going to give you a bit of information about uh, finding out more about this project and about Queen's Hall generally. Thanks, Brady. Yes, so this event is happening on the 21st of July. You can find out more about it on Queen's Hall website, which is queenshall.co.uk. And if you don't already, you can follow Queen's Hall on all various forms of social media. And thank you very much, Bridie, for your time today. Thank you, everyone else. It's been great. Thank you.